Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Monday, April 13, 2015. We are reading from the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We are in the chapter, How It Works, page 69, and we'll be starting at that first full paragraph. We reviewed our own conduct. Today's readers are, for the steps, Joanne L., Traditions, Alita P., and for the text, uh, Judith W., Sally A., and Deanna D. The reference number for Sunday, June 12, 2015, special edition, is 7470. That's 7470. OA Preamble, Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for our members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At A Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Joanne L. to read the 12 steps. Good morning. Thank you for your service, Kim. This is Joanne L. from New Jersey, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. One, the 12 steps, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. 8. Made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. 9. Made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. 10. Continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you for allowing me to do service. I pass. Thank you, Julianne. And I will now ask Alita P. to read the Twelve Traditions. Good morning. Alita P. in Minnesota, compulsive overeater. Very grateful to be here. Very grateful for all of you being here. The 12 Traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. 
One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group will never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, film, television, and other public media of communication. And 12. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all of these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personality. Thank you. I pass. Thank you, Alita. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and the literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass then press star 1 to mute, your, to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. muted. Today we resume our study of the big book on page 69, the first and second full paragraph, which begins with, we reviewed our own conduct. I will ask Judith W. to begin. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thanks, Kim, for your service. Judith W. recovered in London, UK. We reviewed our own conduct over the, uh, the years past. Where had we been selfish, dishonest, or inconsiderate? Whom had we hurt? Did we unjustifiably arouse jealousy, suspicion, or bitterness? Where were we at fault? What should we have done instead? We got this all down on paper and looked at it. In this way, we tried to shape a sane and sound ideal for our future sex life. We subjected each relationship to this test. Was it selfish or not? We asked God to mold our ideals and help us to live up to them. We remembered always that our sex powers were God-given and therefore good, neither to be used lightly or selfishly, nor to be despised or loathed. 
And uh, yeah, I, I mean, I had to remember when I was reading this, like we're actually learning about this so we could do an inventory. Um, and I've been through this, I can honestly say, many times now, um, through over the years in the program, but these past few times really made a lot of difference. I was going to have to look at my side of the street and um, and I was promised that if I did the work, I'd be molded in a new way, that my brain would be reorganized, as I had said earlier in the big book. Um, and we're in, the, you know, we're in the sex inventory, so this also meant for me taking inventory about how I was always crying out for attention, how I was desperate for intimacy, love, um, and it wasn't, you know, doing that. You know, if I wasn't doing those kind of things, I was busy drowning myself, overeating, uh, over drowning myself in my own fat. Therefore, I didn't want to go near anybody. Um, so lots of extremes, but fear drove me, I think, to get more attention or want more attention than was healthy. And I chose very inappropriate relationships that caused me a lot of doubt all the time. And this was me just repeating my childhood and um, knowing that I was compulsive, not just around eating, but I had fear of so many things. I became compulsive around a lot of things, including the desperate need to have love. And it drove me to do some very crazy things with some very crazy people and some nice people. And I was extremely promiscuous at a young age. I got into some seriously bad trouble. I nearly got shot three times, stabbed once. I mean, crazy stuff. But, um, you know, I left men in the dust too. And when they treated me too nicely, and there was some crazy stuff on my side, and I drove myself into the dust wanting to be wanted so very much. Um, and in my prior marriage, infidelity ruled the roost. Um, I used to think that he beat me to it, so I'd just do it instead. But actually, I think when I really look at it, and you know, I did look at the inventory, I had also done it, and I don't know who came first. Uh, anyway, we had never agreed on monogamy. It's not what we wanted. Um, I, I wanted it desperately, but I don't think we wanted it. So I just decided, okay, well, we wouldn't have it. There was so much fear and mess, and it had no ideals whatsoever. And I think if we look at this paragraph, it's almost like a calming sense of things that we're going to ask our higher power now to, you know, my higher power, to really give me a new idea or a new way of being. I had to seek a lot of therapy, and I'm glad the big book suggested I did when I was much younger. Um, and, you know, I had to really work through this a lot over the years. However, when I looked at my side of the street, there was a lot of crazy behavior. And, um, and it was around sex, love, desire, passion, want, need, um, attention. Um, and I could only make amends where I could. You know, there were some people I could not because it would cause a lot more harm. And um, there was plenty of selfishness, dishonesty, and inconsideration. So I have done maybe four major inventories around this now. Um, and then this time, it was very different because um, I had prayed well enough over the years, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, but um, certainly 20 years ago, I'd been praying very deeply about new ideals and I felt ready and I advertised the fact that I was ready on Match.com and I met the love of my life and 16 years later, we're absolutely beautiful together. But caution be told, uh, you know, I was compulsive in so many other ways. I was always driven back through my own fears of life and my other relationships in life that I couldn't hold myself together and I didn't rely on a higher power, I didn't trust enough. So bottom line, I end up compulsively eating, but thank God a year later now, this seems to be removed along with all the fears, most of them, it's 95% of the time I've still got to work on certain things, but I'm really fit in love and sex in, in my current situation with my primary partner, but I also feel like, you know, in my relationships with my friends and my family, they're so much deeper now because my intimacy is there, I'm not always constantly wanting to have attention. So I find this prayer very useful. I just want to wrap up and say the prayer is so useful. This is the ideals prayer. So useful to be used in so many situations, not just with the sex situation, but helpful um, in many, any kind of relationship. So I love that. I, you know, it helps me to learn how to have trust, have faith, because it really does work. And it's a beautiful prayer to say. They call it the prayer for a reason. 
Thank you so much. For that, I'll pass. Thank you, Judith. And who would like to comment on the two paragraphs that were read? Matt M. Lisa M. Matt M. I heard you, Matt. So we have Matt. We have, oh, gosh. Who is the second person? Carol. Sorry, Carol. Um, So we have Matt M. Carol G. Rochelle. Lisa M. We have Charles H. And Rochelle. Is there anyone else? Okay, so we'll go in this order. It's Matt M., Carol G., Lisa M., Charles H., and Rochelle. Matt M., go ahead. Hi, good morning, visionaries. This is Matt M. I'm a compulsive overeater from New Jersey over here on the East Coast. Um, Yeah, this is a very, it's not an easy topic to talk about, but I didn't realize recently, now that I'm doing the fourth step, how selfish I've been when it comes to my God-given sex powers, how Everything in my life was so stunted due to the fact that I started compulsive eating at a young age. And I've heard it said before that at the day we pick up our addiction, we stop growing emotionally and mentally and spiritually that time. So in my head, I've always been very immature, and I really haven't. Uh, a lot of the milestones, unfortunately, that young kids had and young people had growing up, I never did because I was too busy compulsively overeating and gaining weight and isolating myself under pounds and pounds of excess flesh. And I realized, who am I hurt? I was really hurting myself because um, I, my, my bell curve, my, my experience for growth was so, so, so steep and so large that I, it was really painful for a lot of years. I was a late bloomer. And because of that, I just basically went on a straight pepper diet for a long time. And I almost burnt myself out because of my head, because of like, the lack of intimacy. I never really had relationships because I was, my relationship was with food. And I never really learned how to have friendships or even sexual relationships with anybody, a healthy one, I basically learned at a young age how to have unhealthy relationships. And um, basically for me, I I started to make the connotation that sex equals love. So every time I did, I was never able to make the connection that it does not equal love. So that really caused a lot of problems in my my relationship with my best friend or relationship with my family because I was just self-will and riot. I did adjust. I, I aroused jealousy, suspicion of bitterness in myself. I, I got upset when I saw people, some partners of mine, going with the, they got a partner of their own or they were going with someone else that wasn't me because I thought they should be with me just because I had sex with them. It didn't make sense. I'm very grateful that I can see that, you know, that the, the, rash, the, the irrational thinking and the sick twist of thinking that came with all of that. And I'm grateful that I got to this 12-step program because that only helped me live a happy, joyous, and free life, but it also helps me be sane. Because I was absolutely, totally insane when it came to everything in my life, compulsive, almost everything. And I'm just grateful that just for today, I can try to live up to the ideals that my higher power wants for me, not what I want. Because I realized my best thinking got me into the rooms. I'm so grateful it did. Thank you for letting me share with that outcast. Thank you, Matt. And Carol G., it's your turn. Morning, Vision for you. It's Carol G in England, recovered one day at a time. Thank you so much for the meeting. Yeah, it says here, um, just before we actually read that paragraph, what can we do about them? Well, what we can do is this inventory, and this is the, the third part of our inventory process that we're in at the moment. So we're reviewing our sex conduct over the years, and there's these nine little questions to ask myself. Some of these questions um, have have dug really deep. Some of these questions have opened up things that I never knew existed. And some of these questions, um, you know, are just evolving over time. Um, But in the inventory process in itself, 
they've been so remarkable at changing my entire life and my entire attitude towards sex and relationships and, and just relationships in general. And I was just thinking how there's nothing more freeing from bondage to self when, for me when it gets to this, this part of the chapter because being obsessed with food, I was obsessed with my weight. Um, I'm kind of like an anorexic in a compulsive overeater's body. When I was 12, I wanted to starve, but I could only last for about 10 minutes, couldn't stop eating. But there's still that person inside me that wants to be thin, that wanted, not now, sorry, wanted to be thin, um, and was always obsessed with that. So I was always looking at myself in the mirror. How did I look? How did I feel? What was I like when I, I wasn't relating to anybody. I was constantly inside with myself on my own. And I wasn't even actually in a relationship. And even though I was married, for 14 years, my poor husband um, really didn't have a chance because there was three of us in this relationship, me, the disease, and him. And I'm afraid the disease won and we lost. Um, and also what I noticed when we were reading that out was that it's written very differently to, it, it, to actually what it looks like on some of those sheets that you can get hold of. It starts off saying, where had we been selfish, dishonest, or inconsiderate? Whom had we hurt? Whereas the sheets say, whom had we hurt first? And for me, I found that that makes a huge difference. Because if I go straight in and say, who am I, whom have I hurt? I kind of end up racking my brains um, and can't really get an honest list together. Whereas when I just go, well, I was selfish here and I was dishonest there and I wasn't very considerate about any of your wants or your needs or capabilities, it's easier for me to go in there. So for me, I do keep it the way in which the big book works. Um, and I think finally, I just say that like, Sex, like any other problem, if it's a problem for you, it's, it's like anything else. It's a spiritual problem. It's my spiritual disease. It's my spiritual malady, my spiritual unrest that just needs sorting out, which means I'm blocked from God. What a fantastic inventory this is. You know, welcome it into your life. And um, for me, it's done wonders. Um, thank you so much for the meeting, and I'll pass with that. Thank you, Carol G. Lisa M., you're next. Hi, uh, my name is Lisa M., and I'm calling from Massachusetts. Thank you, Kim, for your service, and good morning, everyone. Um, when I did this part of the fourth step, uh, well, this the fear and the sex part were, like, big surprises for me, you know, because, you know, I guess I was in such a food fog all the time. I had no clue what I was doing in my life, where I was going, you know, how to behave, and... And this part of the inventory, you know, really made me look at my close relationships, the people who I wanted to be close to, and wasn't necessarily, you know, the opposite sex, but also my friendships and my family and people that loved me and I loved them. And, you know, it was just such a warped way of living because I had no clue, you know, and, and I was always blame it on my parents you know I, they didn't teach me how to love someone they you know sex was a dirty thing and so when I did have feelings for somebody I just I didn't know how to behave and most of the time it was inappropriately and and I was so desperate to be loved and and I just didn't know how to do it and so it was me wanting somebody, wanting something from somebody all the time. And I would do what I thought was okay in order to get that. 
And this part of the step, this part of the fourth step, I'm still working on because, you know, I'm not in a relationship right now, and I would really like to be in one, but I'm, you know, feel like I have no, still have no clue how to do that. But um, thank goodness for this program, and I can learn how to do it to be healthy, and to be healthy in my relationships, and to be healthy with my food. And I'm so I'm so grateful for this program and what it's teaching me about myself and what that impacts me. Thank you, Lisa M. Charles H., you're next. Hi, good morning, visionaries. Can I be heard properly? We can hear you. Thank you. Uh, good morning. Thank you for your service, and uh, good morning, all visionaries. My name is Charles H., a recovered visionary just for today. I'd like to drill down on we reviewed our own conduct over the years past. Um, you know, I've done that, and, and, and for me, I have to continue to review my conduct on a daily basis, which is, which is a 10-step for me. But, um, you know, all these questions I can answer yes to, uh, but I just want to say that um, yesterday me and my wife made uh, a big commitment, a big step in life. Um, we we are now we are now we are now deacons and she looked she still looked at me and said you know that that other deacon lady is looking at you and you know she better not and you know what that's because of my past conduct I didn't catch a resentment I just said my sex ideal God please help me to stay faithful to my wife you know um and and, and that's big for me because you know I'm a self righteous self willed person you know. And, 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 you know, thank God for program, right? Thank God for program of action, you know, and, and for honesty. Because, you know, to tell the truth, those women look good. They look, they look beautiful. And I can enjoy them from not looking at it from a, a self-willed, self-sex maniac, you know, because I was that, right? And today I'm trying to be committed, you know, one day at a time. So, you know, commitment is, is the thing, man. Like, you know, in program, we come up in here and get some, some physical and some spiritual recovery, and then people start looking at you. People start giving you comments. Then, you, then I don't know, you know, let me say, people start giving comments, and then I could take that to another level. Like, you know what? Yes, I do look nice. Yes, I am handsome. Let's go. I did some crazy stuff. You know, I did some crazy stuff with people. I hurt them, you know. Um, and, and I need to take a look at that and reflect, not stay there. I need to reflect and know where my God has, has brought me from. So I need to look at, review my sex conduct every day, even on social media. Like, look, let me take this selfie so they can look at me and get all these likes from these women. I don't care if the men like it. I want the women to like it. Why? Because I have a suspect sex conduct, and I need to keep that, um, keep my sex ideal in mind and know that I'm a child of God today, a servant, a slave for my God. And with that, I pass. Thanks for allowing me to share. Thanks, Charles. And Rochelle, you're next. Good morning. This is Rochelle, uh, recovered in Maryland. Thank you very much for your service, Tim. So um, when I heard this paragraph, what it reminded me of was something for me, which was an epiphany before program, and that is, and I was a teenager at the time, I used to get a subscription to the, the uh, New York Times when I was in high school, and uh, one day I read an article on the front cover which said, 
that um, a study, a research survey was done that showed, the report was, the analysis was that children of abused parents do not have to grow up to be abusers themselves. So I mentioned that because I found that exceedingly freeing because it meant that uh, I could develop my own, my own future and my own present, and I didn't have to be con controlled by behaviors that were, uh, I deemed, inappropriate uh, for myself. So that I passed. Thank you. Thanks, Rochelle. And who else would like to comment on the first and second paragraph on page 69? Monica. Monica, anyone else? Larry. Larry. Anyone else? Vasa. And Vasa. One more call out. Anyone else? Okay, so we're going to go Monica T, Larry K, and Vasa O. Monica, you're first. Well, good morning, Kim. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. My name is Monica T, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. So here we are in the chapter, How It Works, and we are on the tail end of our uh, four-step inventory here. And we've been working on our sex inventory, and we've listed all those people that we harmed with our sexual conduct. And... Uh, now, in the second paragraph here, we tried to shape a sale and sane, <laughs> sane and sound ideal for our future sex life. We subjected each relation to this test. Was it selfish or not? So when I was doing my four-step inventory, this I was told, this sex ideal, this, this ideal was my last thing that I was going to write in my inventory. And in this um, ideal, I was to write what I wanted my, you know, what was a sound, sane ideal for me as a woman, as a person for the rest of my life. And I took this as not only sexual, um, um, sexually, but also in just everyday relationships with anybody that I met. You know, how did I want to be so I wrote my ideal, it was a few paragraphs, you know, basically after doing all this writing, um, you know, a lot would be, had been revealed to me. I was shown an awful lot, my dishonesty, my selfishness, my resentments, my fears. Um, and so I wanted to write this, how, what are your motives, Monica? What are your motives, especially sexually? What are your motives? You need to look at this. And so in my sex ideal, it was like, okay, you know, I want to be an honest person with everybody I meet from here on out. Honesty. And be a nice person. And be, and be uh, a giving person. And basically, you know, just... Uh, um, you know, be a good, good, be a good doobie, Monica, you know, be a good person to everybody. Think about things. Pause. What's your motive behind this? What are you looking for? And um, so anyway, so that was the very last thing that I had to write in my four-step inventory was this ideal. And um, with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Monica. And Larry Kay. Kim, thanks so much for your service. Um, this is Larry Kay, recovered uh, compulsive leader from Chicago. You know, for for me, th this um, and it seems like a lot of people. This is a very, very challenging 
you know, piece of the piece of the process here when we get to the sex inventory. And, you know, if I look at it, you know, why was that? Well, you know, it, it, it seems that, you know, before one is locked off from their higher power, which, you know, which I, I absolutely was, you know, we're, we're typically blocked off from a true understanding of ourselves. You know, we have blind spots. You know, in other words, we, we have the utter inability to see the truth, to separate the truth, true from the false. And oftentimes, you know, there's this underlying thread of self-loathing, self-hatred. There, there certainly was for me. Now, if you, you know, if you if you would have met me during those times, you probably would have, you know, given off a sense that that everything's just fine, you know. And um, there was a lot of self-justification. But but the truth is that, you know, um, you know, the person that I was before being restored by God you know, by my higher power, you know, that was a person that was, that had these blind spots <clears throat> and, and, and there was self-loathing, you know, and coming from that place, a human being is going to arouse jealousy, is going to arouse suspicion, bitterness. See, that's what I was giving away back then because it's like the, you know, I, I love when I heard years ago, you know, if you, if you squeeze an orange, you know, what, what, what comes out? Well, the, the only thing that can you know, orange juice, you know, and, and you squeeze me, you put me in a corner, you know, what's going to come out? Bitterness, jealousy, you know, uh, suspicion, because that's, that's really all I had to give away. And there's something in this process, there's something, when we do the sex inventory, there's something really magical about getting it down on paper and facing it. Remember, with, uh, with the inventory, this is a fact-finding and fact-facing process. <clears throat> and you know, it was never when it, you know it was never therapeutic in the sense that that I was going to going to cause my own or bring about or effectuate my own spiritual awakening. That wasn't my job here. You know, that job there's a God. That God is not me. All I'm being asked here is to get this stuff down on paper. Not necessarily to not necessarily to feel better as a result of it, although I might, or feel worse, or I might. Just to go through the process, to subject myself through the to the you know through the process here, and 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 really get open and honest on what what is what is being revealed. And for me, yes, I, I did arouse bitterness, jealousy, suspicion, anger, because that's what I gave away. And it didn't matter if I had an extensive sexual history. For me, I did not, because for me, uh, for years uh, there. You know, even if, 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 if having the opportunity to have an intimate emotional and or physical relationship, I wasn't capable of having that. It wasn't sustainable, and I knew it. I knew it. And, you know, today it is, it is possible because God has, has restored me. And uh, with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thanks, Larry. And Vasa O. Vasa, can you hit star one to unmute? Oh, I'm sorry. Can you hear me? I can hear you now. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Kim, for your service. And good morning, everybody. And I'm Vasa, grateful, recover, compulsive, either calling from Florida. Boy, this is such a powerful um, paragraph in here. It caused me so much trouble in my life. And, again, we are at the last part of step four, and this was the most, fearful part 
that um, that I was faced to do, and it was the most really it was the most healing. It has been processed for me from the beginning to where I am today, and I you know I'm just so grateful to hear all these people. You know this not you know we all have difficult problems or different opinions about sex and not to judge each other, just to 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 be compassionate and to hear, to hear every one of us, you know, what we've gone through and where we are today, you know. And uh, I was so desperate looking for the love and the attention out there from men to be loved and to be okay. And I demonstrated unhealthy behaviors. Again, I didn't date a lot of men because I was not allowed to date. But whatever experience I had through my lifetime, you know, um, I, I think I listed like 21 people. What you know, it didn't have to be with sex. You know, it could be dating, it could be fantasizing, it could be childhood crushes, it could be playing doctors. You know, and it was very, very hard for me. I did it with a therapist. Thank God. You know, that's how I did it the first time. And and then, of course, later on, I did it the way it's laid out in the big book. Um, but it just showed me how insane I was uh, with that, you know, in, in, in that area. I wasn't insane just with the food, and I started recognizing the insanity, the relationships, how I had hurt myself, and I had hurt, hurt others. Um, I remember we before we escaped the country, I was like maybe 15 years old, and I had a crush on this boy, and we were supposed to meet. We had a matchmaker, and I was supposed to meet him, you know, that night. Just, you know, we never had never kissed or anything. And, and then my girlfriends went to meet all the men, all the boys. They were like soldiers. Instead of me, my instinct was telling me to go with this boy to meet because we were leaving that night, escaping the country, and he didn't know he didn't know anything about it. Nobody knew about it, and I knew that was going to be the last night for me to see him. And I chose to go with my girlfriends, and we met the soldiers. But it so I stood him up, and it bothered me so much over the years because. I ne- there was never final, you know, I never, nothing happened about it. But anyways, anyways, I had mental obsession with the food like I did with the boys. And um, I remember feeling like I was nothing if I didn't have somebody to love me. And I, I, that could have gotten me in so many, many, so, um, so many troubles, like looking for that love and attention. I could have been raped. I said, oh, my God, you know, God had to be after me because I was a flirt, too. Even if I saw somebody once or twice or we got together, you know, I, you know, I was a teaser, and I'm saying, you know, I could have been somewhere in a dumpster or somebody could have, could have raped me. So this gave me um, a thought, you know, what I did and what not to do. Uh, in Time's the- offer. Thank you. I'll just wrap it up. Wrap it up, thank you. Yeah, I'm just so grateful that uh, we are in in this part. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Rafa. And Sally A., could you continue with the third paragraph on that page, whatever ideal turns out to be? 
Thank you, Kim. Good morning. A vision for you. It's Sally A. in South Jersey, a recovered compulsive overeater. Whatever our ideal turns out to be, we must be willing to grow toward it. We must be willing to make amends where we have done harm, provided that we do not bring about still more harm in doing so. In other words, we treat sex as we would any other problem. In meditation, we ask God what we should do about each specific matter. The right answer will come if we want it. So we see a lot of things are being said here in these these, uh, sentences that are continuing to guide us. It's almost like we're being steered in how we're going about this inventory. It's very crucial because this is, there's no accident that they put the sex inventory third because it is very fear-invoking and um, there is a lot of very deep-rooted, painful uh, memories. And when I read these words, um, first I'm reminded of something that a sponsor once said to me. She said, we're not asked to relive our past. We're asked to review. And there's a big difference because when you are reliving, you are bringing yourself into those thoughts and you're just settling right in and it just can really do a lot of, um, it can be very painful to nestle into these these difficult memories. But when we, when we think of it as if you're looking over your shoulder and you're taking a look, you're reviewing what happened, not reliving what happened. And the other thing I, I feel really compelled to say is I often say to my own sponsees that it's like getting into a swamp and there's, there's moccasins, water moccasins, there's rats, there's, there's snakes in the swamp, but you've got to get in the swamp because that's what it is like in our minds when we are reviewing our past and especially when we get to the sex inventory piece of it. We've got to get in the swamp and get out of the swamp quickly. It's not something you want to do, you know, dilly-dally. If you're going to hang out and do my nails, Sally got cut off. Are you still there? I'm back. So you don't want to hang out in the swamp, and that's a really important principle to get in and get out. So it tells us here whatever our ideals turn out to be. And for myself, I had no boundaries. You wanted me, that's all it took. I, I never stopped to think, what do I want? What do I think? What do I consider that my boundaries should look like? And, and what should my, my motivation be? And, and, and what are my ideals? This word ideals is a, a word you may want to look it up in the dictionary. Whatever our ideals turn out to be, we must be willing to grow toward it. We must be willing to make amends. This is, again and again, we're given warning that we, we really cannot let the marbles roll around. We've got to pick up the marble, the thoughts that are in our mind, take a good look, and go and deal with that marble. But here it gives us, again, it tells us um, where we must be willing to make amends where we have done harm. But here's the balancing act, provided that we do not bring about still more harm in so doing. And in other words, we treat sex as we would any other problem. And finally, it says, in meditation, we ask God what we should do about each specific matter. And I want to um, just end by bringing you to the 12 and 12 on the bottom of page 101, worth taking a look at. It said, let's always remember that meditation is in reality intensely practical. One of its first fruits is emotional balance. And that's what we all want. We want to become emotionally 
balanced. And how do we become emotionally balanced? We have to listen so that we can learn, so that we can grow, which is part of this paragraph. We must be willing to grow. We have to listen to learn to grow so that we can change, page 143, so that we can become transformed, so that we can become recovered. And for myself, this is my ultimate goal, so that I can become emotionally balanced. Thanks for letting me share with that I pass. Thank you, Sally. And who would like to comment on the paragraph just read, paragraph 3 on page 169? This is Janet. Hi, hi Janet. Key, and who else? Jan G. Jan G. Anyone else? Okay, we'll start out with Janice P. and then Jan G. Go ahead, Janice. Thank you, Kim. Thank you so much. Good morning, Vision, for you. My name is Janice P., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. You know, it sounds to me, as everyone's speaking, that we all come to this place in the same way. You know, it's like, oh, we're going to talk about sex, because it, it was never, I don't know about you, but it was never something that I wanted to take a good, long, hard look at. You know, I, it was never easy for me. And I certainly didn't know what this part of the inventory process was going to be like for me. It was going to dig up a lot of stuff, I thought. And why should I be digging up that stuff from the past? Well, what what it turns out to be is that, you know, without shining the light on it, you know, without being awake and aware, you know, you can't do a thing about the things you're not aware of, I was told. And so I applied the same kinds of things to this part of the inter, um, inventory that I did to the other parts of the inventory. You know, God, reveal it to me. Reveal it to me so that I can then work towards some sort of ideal situation. Because what, had, what I'd been doing before around sex was killing me. It was killing me. It was bringing me back to those same places, that restless, irritable, discontent, fearful place where I would pick up the food again and again. So without doing this good, hard, long look at it and shining the light on it and seeing it clearly, but I didn't have to do it alone. Just like everything else, the big book is saying, you know, sometimes counsel with other people is helpful. And that counsel sometimes was just hearing other people's experience, strength and hope around it. That that they had had their own experiences that they put down in this part of the inventory, and they got through it, and it brought them to a better place. You know, and that's very encouraging, and we can offer that. I don't have to tell anybody what to do or or point out their problems to them. I mean, they're pretty much aware, if they're anything like me, that this might be touchy and difficult and and that I might bring a whole lot of fear to this part of the inventory. But what we know is that if we get all riled up by this part of the inventory, what does it tell us to do? Help others. Turn our thoughts to people we can help to help maintain that emotional balance. You know, that I don't have to have my head so far deep into this part of the inventory that I can't see anything else. But do I need to put intent and purpose and thought and prayer towards this part of the inventory? Absolutely. Because my dear late husband always used to call it he in and she in. 
you know, or, you know, whatever we bring to this part of the inventory, it was not our most shining best moment, you know, if you're anything like me. So to look at this clearly, to put it down on paper, to counsel with others, to see if there's some deeper issues here, because remember, you know, AA was not set out to be therapy, and Bill W. or Dr. Bob talk about that at length in different places, that if, if it ends up we need a medical professional or a psychiatric counseling, whatever, we can take that to another level. But this part of the inventory is the basic uncovering. And then we can discover what it is we've been avoiding looking at and what can bring us to a better place. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks, Janice. And Jan G. Hi, I'm Jan G, a compulsive overeater from New York. I'm just beginning the steps, and um, I'm always look. I've always looked forward to doing the fourth step, but I never realized I'd have to do this part of the fourth step. And um, I think it, it's really scary to me because, you know, sex contact has always been. Uh, mangled and and it had to do with my feelings of feeling so unlovable for my whole life. So my sex conduct was just it's just as insane as the food. Um, I don't really. I've been married twice. I'm on my second marriage, and I don't really ever feel that I've had any type of normal sex conduct. So. Um, this part of the inventory is really scaring me. It's really confusing me, um, and I really feel blocked on it. So, um, But I, I see that we seriously have to go through this just by the conversations we've had in the last two days. So I just have to believe that I'll get through it and um, I'll be able to figure it out. So with that, I pass. Thank you. Thanks, Jan. And who else would like to share on that third paragraph on page 69? Leah. Thank you, Leah. Go ahead. Thanks, Kim, very much. Hi, everybody. It's Leah, uh, recovered compulsive overeater. Whatever our ideal turns out to be, we must be willing to grow towards it. I mean, obviously, we're in the step four inventory, and the big book teaches me that, you know, there are three major obstacles in my relationship to a power greater than myself. One is resentments, one is fears, and this third facet of the fourth step inventory process is the sex conduct. And, you know, I had been um, just pursuing in such desperation, you know, a feeling of comfortability, a feeling of belonging, of worthiness, um, you know, something to alleviate the fears, the self-doubt, insecurity. Um, and, you know, this this part of the inventory process began uh, to give me an opportunity with someone who had been through the process and knew how to teach it and had, you know, was a very uh, skilled guide um, of plumbing the depths 
of my personality, my attitudes. You know, the big book here has given me nine questions. It posed nine questions. Each of them was about my motives. Each of them was about the harm I, I might have done and my responsibility in and for the situation that I, uh, I had written about. And so this inventory process, although it made me shake in my boots a little bit uh, because it's obviously laying out um, – you know, my history on a piece of paper, um, concise, but ne- but definitely laying it out on a piece of paper to be discussed with a sponsor. It was a process of naming and beginning to remove the sludge that had accumulated over the years during my self-centered efforts at survival, you know, um, and managing my life based on self-will and riot, based on self-reliance. And this was just another area where that sludge was so evident. Um, But it was so necessary. You know, it really, especially the ninth question that was posed, what should I have done instead? I did have a value system, but it had been deep down inside of me, um, and it had been buried, buried by, you know, pursuit of so many other things. Um, Through the process of these steps, that value system began to be surfaced uh, and confirmed by God in prayer. But this question, whatever my ideal turns out to be, we must be willing to grow towards it. The program of recovery, and again, this last question that the big book posed me, what should I have done instead, allowed me to begin to think, who do I want to be? Who will God help me be? Um, And... You know, uh, that's, that's the revolutionary change and transformation that's possible for each and every one of us. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Excuse me. Thank you, Leah. And we have time for one more share. Who else would like to share on this paragraph? Karen M. Karen M. Okay. and Karen M., if you guys can maybe take two minutes each, we can put you both in. Okay. Go ahead, Anne Marie. Uh, this is Anne-Marie, um, recovered compulsive eater in South Carolina. And, uh, you know, in the fourth step, in the 12 and 12, it really helped me to see that my sex conduct was, you know, neither good or bad. And I, I know it says it in the big book, too. But there was something that hit me in the big book when I realized that I am not a bad person. My character defects are part of my or part of my makeup and neither to be judged by me which was uh, I judged myself quite a bit or by anyone else um and that that last question that was pointed out you know what could I've done differently is just a matter of okay so I did something incorrectly I um I took my sex desires uh maybe a little bit too far, uh, yes, definitely a little bit too far, what could I have done differently? So this inventory really helped me to see it's not a moral issue. I am not a, a bad person, a good person. I can't check myself off saying uh, this is a great thing that I did or, um, you know, I should be condemned to hell because of the the actions I made. No, not at all. Um, ask that they be removed, and my God is loving and kind and forgiving, and I'm grateful for that today. That's the God that I found in these 12 steps um, of Alcoholics Anonymous with a loving and forgiving God. 
and that um, I, I can do something differently. There's some action that I can take. So with that, I want to pass. Thanks, Kim, for your service. Thanks, Anne-Marie. And Karen, you're going to close us out. All right. Good morning. My name is Karen M. I'm actually um, live in California, but I'm visiting Central Park, New York, and get to call on East Coast time, which is just lovely. And I just want to throw out a thank you to all of you for the service you do showing up every morning for a meeting. And as far as the sex inventory goes, I, I just want to put it out there as, as a 100-pounder, so many of us that walk around in that kind of excess weight have had you know, deep wounds and carry deep shame. And through our program of recovery, there is such a possibility to heal from that shame. We bear witness to each other. We have, you know, the love and kindness and acceptance of our friends, of our fellows, of our sponsors. And, you know, I've been living in a normal body for 14 years, thank you to Overeaters Anonymous. And through that time, I have learned to face and live with live with my body as it is and also live with my sex life as it is and as it was. And, you know, I'm still healing from, from wounds. I'm still working on six and seven in many areas of my life. And I think this is my life work. This is all of us. If we were going to be totally healed, you know, the work would be done and we know that's not the case. But if we just keep showing up one day at a time and keep doing the work as it says. There's there's just so much acceptance possible. And but again, I just want to put that out there for women that come from from deep wounds that there is a way, just very slowly, one day at a time, one step at a time, to find our own acceptance. And it always comes from within. And you know, by the grace of God, we can all do this together. We're not meant to do it alone. And we heal from compulsive eating and from our sex conduct and our sex lives and things that happen to us or by us. So thank you for letting me share. And again, thank you all. Thank you, Karen, for closing out the meeting. Thank you to everyone who has shared, those who are listening live, and especially to those who uh, are listening on the recording. We will now close the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Deanna B. please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Thank you. This is Deanna B., Recovered Compulsive Overeater from Chicago, and thank you, Kim, for your service and for everybody on the line. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Thank you, and I'll pass.